Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Now, today's guest is Trina Dibery. She is doing some amazing things. She has a podcast herself in which she talks to teacherpreneurs, and we're going to get into that later, as well as all some other dope stuff we're doing. She's also killing it on Teachers Pay Teachers, so we're going to get into that, as well as get her thoughts on what does she feel when, when teachers say, this stuff should be free. Why are you charging uh, other <laughs> teachers for resources? Uh, so, again, she's doing some wonderful things. Go check out her website. There'll be links to all of those things in the show notes. So for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Simplecast, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Trina? Hi, I am Trina Debery from Trina Debery Teaching and Learning. And I actually have two podcasts. I am on Teacherpreneurs Raise Your Hand, which is a focus towards teacherpreneurs and teachers that are also doing, you know, running a business. And then I also have a podcast called One Tired Teacher, which is geared towards teachers that are in the classroom and, you know, grinding it out for the trials and the, and also like the treasures of teaching. So that is what I'm doing. And I don't know if I would say I'm killing it on, on TPT, but I definitely have been doing it for a long time and I am persevering, I think you could say. <laughs> hey, to me, when you're making a regular check, you're doing it. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. So I always like to ask people uh, this question uh, because I'm always curious about so the how did people get to where they are now? So what did you think you would be doing with your life when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in a K through 12 classroom? All right. So I, as a kid, I really, you know, I, I liked to imagine like that was really main, my main thing. I had a brother that we spent a lot of time, you know, playing and pretending we were, you know, all kinds of things, like from people on Star Wars to, um, which ages me, but I mean, because I'm talking about the original Star Wars and um, Swiss Family Robinson and all these different things. And we played, um, you know, like with our imagination all the time. And, and so I think for a long time, I definitely pretended I wanted, I was a teacher and I put my poor brother through misery because he was the bad student in my classroom all the time. Eventually I let him pretend he was the principal and, um, <laughs> which I don't know why, but, um, I did. And then I also, like, I used to want to be an actress, which is really crazy to think about, but I loved being like very theatrical and like, you know, ex excited. And I, I, that was really my thing. I didn't, I didn't really know I wanted to be a teacher until I was older. I kind of like, I went to college and I dabbled in so many different things. Like I didn't choose my major until I was like in my third year of college. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to pick a major because I am like just going, I could be a lifelong student. Like I could go to college right now and still, you know, just want to take classes because I love learning. So I, I actually originally got a degree in sociology because I was so interested in that aspect of people and how people interact with one another. 
and I had the most classes in that. So I'm like, I'll just get this degree. But right at the end of graduation, like I was about to graduate and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I think I want to teach. And I'm going to go back and, you know, do a dual major and, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to teach. But it, you know, I graduated and then I, and then I, you know, life kind of took me in a different direction. And I did end up going back to school to get a second bachelor's degree, which was insane. Like, and I even talked to like a, a college, you know, a, a person that helps you and they, what they should have told me was get your master's in education and work on your certification. But I didn't figure that out until I was finished with all the classes and about to sec do my second internship. And then I realized, what am I doing? So I got certified. I went into the classroom. I did eventually get my master's in education technology and media design in 2011. But it was, yeah, it was quite a journey. But I started all out in the first grade classroom. I spent the majority of my career in second grade, actually. It was first grade for a while. I looped to second grade, and then I you know, did that a couple times, and then I was in second grade for a long time. I was in the classroom for 17 years, and then I left the classroom to be a student support specialist with my principal, who I had worked for for that whole time, and he wanted me to go into administration. So I was like, let me see what this is about. And I, I, was, I felt like an administrator in training. I learned so much from him and such a different perspective, you know, that admin perspective versus the classroom perspective that, I, that he would tell me, but I didn't quite believe some of the things until I was in, you know, in it myself. And then he left. He got promoted and he went to like downtown and was like a big wig in the district. So I, I, I helped him open that school. I was on the leadership team and it was changing and I, I had a hard time watching it change. So I left and, be, and was a media specialist for a year. And then I resigned. I actually walked away from 20 years of education. I was really frustrated with what was going on. And I walked away, I resigned, and I did my business for two years full time. But then I kind of got to the point where I was like, I wasn't quite where I wanted to be financially, and I kind of needed the stability. And I miss the kids. So I went back. So I've gone back this year and I'm a student support specialist again. But this position is totally different than my original one. This is like all I deal with is behavior all day long, which is really difficult. And I'm not a super, like I believe that we need to figure out the why behind what kids are doing and how they're behaving. And I, uh, I'm a huge person to give grace and forgiveness. And some teachers want me in there ripping those kids out and mean, and I'm not like that. So I've had, it's been difficult. That part's been hard. I do feel like the, I feel like I'm the right person for a lot of those kids because they need someone to see them and hear them and love them. And I, I do that. So I think that part, I feel good about that part, but it's hard to have, you know, to be, to do that every day. And then also, you know, trying to make sure that your business is still running, you know, at a full-time capacity. So yeah, it's a lot. That was a really long story. So <laughs> I, I, hear, I hear you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I, I believe in the love and I also believe in the shove. Uh, so I have a degree in child and family studies. Mm. So have the background in child development, human development, and all those mm -hmm. things. And I believe, you know, my, my old advisor used to tell me that uh, every behavior 
is about a why. There's a why there and you, your job is to kind of figure that out. And I understand all of that. However, once we have shown the love mm-hmm. and they don't want to do right, it is time for the shove. Like you got to go. Uh, <laughs> be, because I read this somewhere else and I truly believe this, but when something happens every now and then at your school or in the classroom, it is a blip. Mm-hmm. When it happens on a daily basis, it is part of your culture. Mm-hmm. And there's just certain things that uh, it will just tear your school up. Yes, yeah, when right. you you have a, a certain group of kids that are behavioral problems on a regular basis. Yes. Or when the disrespect gets to the point of cursing teachers out or students putting their hands on teachers, those kids got to go. Um, yeah. No, I agree with that. I got punched actually this past week. I've never been hit by a student, even when I've had to like, re- like physically restrain them. I've never, no one has ever tried to hurt me, but this kid actually turned around and punched me full, you know, it with a full fist. And I mean, he's seven, so it wasn't like it was the end of the world, but it, it was, I was like, um, no, he's got to go back home. Like <laughs> I'm, he's not, he can't stay and, and put his hands on, on teachers in that way. So I agree with you. For sure. For sure. And by the way, school districts, um, you need to have a zero tolerance, zero tolerance policy with that because the wrong student is going to hit the wrong teacher mm-hmm. and that student may get laid out, mm. you know, as, 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 you would like to think that adult would have the emotional and intellectual wherewithal to restrain themselves mm-hmm. at the right moment. Cause we're human beings at the right moment. You could have that teacher go, Oh, oh and it's all over. Yes. And, and now there's this drama. When, if you had a zero policy from the beginning, students, it would just take one student and then rest them with no man. Uh-uh, I can't deal with that. Um, so, okay. Let's get, okay. Let's, let's move on. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know we could easily talk yeah, about that. About so, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, it's one of those things, you know, the where, you know, for me as an educator at the root of what I'm always trying to do is about the transformation that the individual themselves must undergo mm-hmm. so that they themselves will take control over their own life. Yes. Right. Because we can't make anyone do anything. And it's unfortunate that even as adults, you grow up and you have your own children and then you have your spouses and you think that you can make somebody do something. Mm-hmm. Now you, you can't do it. I mean, even with your children, yeah, you maybe can ground them. You may can spank them, but guess what? If they don't want to do it, they will continually do whatever they're doing over and over and over again. And it may frustrate you to no end, but the reality is that's where you have those conversations or you model and you do things to where they understand why they should behave in a certain way and understand how they need to make certain decisions that Mm -hmm. will lead to better outcomes. Outcomes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're not, you know, having, uh, to deal with that. So it's interesting to be in, to work in education where the shift has become so heavily focused on testing. Yes. That I think 
looking at the child development, human development side of it mm-hmm. has not had its place where I think it should be. No, I agree. I, I agree. I think we're, I think schools, I think we're part of the problem. I don't think it's all lack of, I mean, and I do believe that, you know, society has an impact and I know the whole blaming on video games and parents working and that thing. I mean, all of that does have an impact, but I also believe that we as a school system have to take some responsibility as well because we're putting pressure on kids at such a young age to do things I mean, it's, you know, people joke that kindergarten is the new first grade and first grade is the new second grade and on and on. And I think that's, they're not ready. Some of them are not ready for that. And even if they can do it, ultimately do it, like, is that really appropriate for them at that age? And I see so many children literally kicking and screaming into school. And that is heartbreaking to me. Like, I don't think that they should feel that way about it. They should, you know, we want them to have a love of learning so that that continues on for the rest of their lives. And I don't think that we are focusing on that. I think we are focusing on that test score and what they can do and how they can perform. And it's only in one way. That's the other part that makes me kind of disgruntled, I guess, because I feel like we're, we're looking at those kids that fit inside the box and those outside, those outliers, they, they, don't, they don't feel like they belong in that system. And they ultimately don't. And so I think that that's really upsetting and difficult and it's hard, it's hard to see. Mm-hmm. So when you were at a place you had been teaching and the sort of the idea of let me look at my genius and monetize it and possibly create a side hustle from it. Mm-hmm. What, what was going through your mind, right? How did you determine that it was time for you to take the leap into entrepreneurship? Well, it, it really, it was interesting because I had a, my, my best friend, she found Teachers Pay Teachers and she's like, oh my goodness, you've got to do this. She's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to make materials and sell them for, to other teachers. And she's like, you've got, totally got to do this. And I'm like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I do it? I make things for my classroom all the time. I make things for other teachers all the time. I shared things with people. They came to me for thing, you know, for materials all the time. So I'm like, why not? Why wouldn't I just try that? And, um, and you know, so we kind of started it together. She like soared way ahead of me and, um, <laughs> you know, it's not a race, but it, you know, it felt like I was like, whoa, but our life circumstances were, were totally different. I was married for for 17 years and he enjoyed the extra income but didn't want me to spend the time on it. So like my time was a little bit more limited, but I felt like I I felt like, you know, I was creating things that that I personally wanted for my kids, for my classroom because I've never been I kind of came into education when they first started the whole balanced literacy conversation. And I know that they're going, you know, that's a big argument about that at this point. But, um, but I feel like I came in at the very best time. I learned so much and I had so much PD and I had so much information and I did so much research and I wanted, like my main goal has always been to get my kids to fall in love with learning and thinking. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like the materials that we were given were doing that. And I didn't want anything to do with them. I wanted to, I wanted to continue for, you know, that I wanted kids to really be excited. And my, and like, I believed that, you know, I, people were like, this is their job. They need to come to school and this is their job. 
And I'm like, but I also feel like we have to, we have to invest in them. Like we have to get them excited and, and that's my job. And I mean, I dressed up in my classroom and, and maybe that's some of that actor part of that me that wanted to come through. But I mean, I did all kinds of things to get them excited, anything to get them excited. And so creating materials was just a natural part of like, well, yes, I can do this. And as I, I don't know, I guess part of it is, you know, I spent, I've been through education at such a different amount of time. I got nationally certified um, a long time ago in early childhood education. Like that was my early childhood generalist or whatever it was called. And we got a bonus. Like we actually got a significant bonus. Like we got a $10,000 bonus a year and like 5,000 was just for having it. And 5,000 was for mentoring other teachers. And I felt like I was being paid, you know, I was being valued. Like my time was being valued and it was a significant impact on my, on my family. I had kids and I had a husband and they needed me and wanted me there. And I was, and I felt like I was being compensated. So it felt, it felt like it felt okay. As soon as they took that away because of income, you know, budget cuts and we no longer had it, they wanted us to continue doing it, but they didn't want to pay us. I started to feel like, wait a minute, like you want so much from me. You're willing to like literally suck me dry and, um, and not compensate me at all. So then with this whole idea of TPT, I'm like, well, I'm already doing this. So why shouldn't I be compensated? Like I, 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 it's giving someone else the benefit of not having to stay until six or seven o'clock at night doing lesson plans and coming up with everything on their own. And a lot of people want things, you know, that's already done for them. So to me, it just made sense. So that's kind of how it started. It's evolved into a little bit more than that um, because I've gone in, in some different directions on top of TPT. But, um, but that's, that's really how it started. Mm. So in the game, you know, some of us are speaking, you know, some of us are, we're authors, we're, we're offering courses, we're leading masterminds. And you just Mm -hmm. mentioned how you first got into teachers pay teachers. Mm -hmm. How did you discover the marketplace for yourself in terms of where you fit in, what you would offer, what unique space you would occupy and the serv- the sort of products or resources you would, would provide? You know, I think if I had to be honest, I will say that I feel like that has almost been a downfall for me. Like I've had, I think, I think my success could have been so much faster, so much better, honestly, if I had really focused in, narrowed down like my niche. And I originally created things for my second grade classroom. And then I kind of veered off to like doing stuff for the media center when I was the media specialist. And then I was like, oh, I can make third grade stuff and first grade stuff and I can do. And I kind of like lost a little bit of like track of exactly what I wanted to focus on. So I think that that, I think that is a huge key to people like having, like being really successful, especially in places like TPT, because it, especially in my market of primary grades, it's so saturated. And so you have to, you have to just put your head down and keep going. And I think that that is a, a, is a big takeaway. And I know that for me, 
I didn't find out until I was an adult and actually working full time two for two years at home that I have ADD. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I can't concentrate. Like I, no wonder I'm all over the place. So it's been, I, it's been like a big learning and it's been like the last couple of years that I've really learned that about myself and I've started to get a little bit more intentional and specific about what we're, what I'm doing and what I want to talk about. And so that's really it. And I'm like, why am I not doing second grade? Just because there are other second grade teachers. Like that's what I know the most. I'm, I really have a good grasp on the standards, on the ELA standards. And so I feel really now that, you know, we're, they're changing in my state and they've changed in other states, but I, I feel like that's a strength. I can figure that out. I feel like I can, you know, even do that pretty much all through primary and I mean all through elementary school. As far as I, I would never make math products <laughs> beyond second grade because there's just there's no way. But science is the other thing that I am really passionate about, and the whole STEM movement has been really exciting for me. And so those are the kinds of things that I have like ended up focusing on. But as far as like how did I figure that out, it really was what I knew and like looking at my own strengths and where my strengths were even as a teacher and what, you know, what things my students appreciated and my other, my fellow, my colleagues, what they wanted from me. So I think that that, I think that's how I've, how it's gotten a little bit better for me. I, I, I you know, I said I had two podcasts and part of the reason I have two podcasts is because I, I created a course for podcasting for teachers, for teacher. I wanted it to be for teachers and teacherpreneurs when I first originally started, but then I realized that I was focusing, to, I wasn't really focusing. Like I was, it was too big of an audience and it wasn't, I wasn't like really narrowing down. And after I was, the course was finished, I'm like this, I mean, it took months. I mean, it was a massive amount of work. So the price point was, it was too high for teachers. So I ended up narrowing it down to teacherpreneurs, which is why I started a teacherpreneur podcast because I wasn't really speaking to fellow teacherpreneurs. And I realized that was like hurting me. Like that hurt me as far as this wasn't my audience. I wasn't used to speaking to other teacherpreneurs. I was used to speaking to teachers. So I developed that and I've kind of grown. I did a virtual learning party for teacherpreneurs last summer and it was a free like virtual conference for people that couldn't attend the big conference that TPT does every year. And it was, I, my group grew to like 1200 people in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. It was crazy. I was like, whoa, what is happening? So it, <laughs> that part was crazy. And, and so I'm like, I really felt like I had two different, two different audiences, but, um, I didn't ever, I mean, you know, people bought it and I was, you know, happy that they did because I think podcasting, it can be so powerful and I absolutely love podcasting. So to me, it was, it was easy to talk about, but it still didn't encompass like where I originally thought. So I've also recently finished creating a workshop that I'm about ready to launch actually to teachers on how to use podcasts and podcasting in the classroom. And so now I'm like, this was originally what I wanted because I think that it can be so, because you're giving your students an opportunity to share what they know in such a different way and giving them a voice and giving them, you know, a different way to, sh to, to show what they know. And I am like, very passionate about it. So I'm, I'm very, I'm excited. I'm like super excited about that, that aspect. So, but there I am again, like with two different, 
two different, you know what I mean? Two different areas. So I, I'm like, am I doing that again? Am I not focusing again? <laughs> well, I like it because you're starting out with a core niche of podcasting mm-hmm. and then you're sort of have like a branch with it Be- and you are able to so serve both audiences with mm-hmm. that, you know, so, you know, via Simple K-12, mm-hmm. I actually did two webinars. And mm-hmm. so one of the webinars was on how teachers themselves can start podcasting, you know, mm-hmm. and because I believe before teachers podcast with their students, they themselves need to be need to podcast because they need to have a comfort mm-hmm. level with it, mm-hmm. not only with, you know, how how will this, how does the format of the podcast is going to, going to work out mm-hmm. uh, with the equipment, with the technology, recording, editing, et cetera, mm-hmm. and get some episodes under their belt before they bring it to their students. Because as you know, podcasting is an involved process. Oh, definitely. Right. So it's not, here's a worksheet and go about your business. Oh, no, you're right. It's definitely involved. I don't think it has to be as complicated as like you and I do as far as a podcast. I think there's a simpler way of doing it for especially for kids in elementary school. And if you if you're doing it as a serious like I want my student like I can see it being more serious for like middle school, high school um, where they're actually like this is even a portfolio of, of what they're able to do or talk about. Mm-hmm. So I can see that being more involved, but I think at the elementary school level, I, I don't think it has to be as complicated. I still think that there, it's an involved process. It's not, here you go, you're done. You're going to get this in just a few minutes. Like it's going to take some time and it's, it just incorporate, I feel like it incorporates so many standards you have to cover anyway. And, you know, even thinking about who your audience is, who are you speaking to, like, Mm -hmm. how do you change your voice when you are talking to, say, your parents, if you were doing like a weekly broadcast about what was going on in the classroom, maybe the teacher wants to, like, in lieu of her newsletter, she wants her students to do it. Like, obviously, that's going to sound different than if if you have your students reporting to each other about habitats or whatever. So it's just going to be, so I, I like that idea of it. So I think... I think it can look different in, 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 in those younger grades and, and kind of, I don't think it has to be, you have to have all the fancy equipment, you have to have, you know, a sounding or sound recording studio, or you have to, you know, I don't think it has to be as complicated for those younger grades is, is kind of what I'm thinking to still have the value of podcasting, but not, it doesn't have to, cause I know there's a, cause I teachers are overwhelmed, especially when they have every single subject to deal with in elementary school there's not a lot of you know some teachers are platooning or you know focusing on one or two subjects and some people are departmentalizing Mm -hmm. and so I get that so but it's still most teachers are not most teachers are teaching every single subject and they're like well how am I going to learn this like I don't have time for this so I think that that is important too like showing them that it's possible that they can do it I do think you're right I think teachers they're scared to do something that they themselves don't understand how to do. And so I think that's a good point. But I also think that sometimes when we let kids figure it out, like they amaze us and they teach us things that even we don't know how to do. As soon as I was finished with my master's, I got, I applied for a grant in my district for one-to-one iPads. And there was only 10 teachers in the whole district. And I have a very large district um, that got the grant. And there was only 
two elementary school teachers and I was one of them. And so I got one-to-one iPads in my classroom and my, I could not even believe the things that my kids ended up being able to do. So we were like, you know, integrating technology in such a meaningful way to enhance learning, not just to integrate, to integrate. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was like in shock of how they took things and like even as far as like iMovie, I didn't really teach them per se how to do step-by-step things in iMovie. They figured it out because they have no fear. They're not afraid to mess up. And that, that, I love that though. Like I love to watch them kind of fail, fumble, and then pick back up and move forward. And they were, they were better at things than I, I, I'd show them how to use an app and they'd be like, oh, look, you can do this, this, and this, and this. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like they'd learn things be, you know, over me. And I felt proficient in things. And I was like, they're, because this is their life. They, this is what they've grown up with. These are digital natives. They get it. So I, don't, I think sometimes we, we get scared to try things unless we ourselves know how to do every single step. And I don't, I don't think that we necessarily have to do that. I hear you. I hear you. But I just broke my webinars into two parts. One mm-hmm. with you podcasting with your students. Mm-hmm. And one, and you as a teacher yeah. You know, learning how to podcast so you don't go in blind, uh, blindly. And number one, I, I believe that educators, first of all, I believe that every educator should be a content creator. Yes. One, because you should become a more reflective educator of, of regarding your practice. Mm-hmm. Two, we live in a world where Google is the new more advanced sort of phone book slash library. Mm-hmm. And it is such at a point to where you could meet someone at a coffee house and strike up a conversation and someone could say, Hey, would you like to meet for dinner? And you may say yes, but then you go to your phone and you start to Google that person to find out, is this person a serial killer? <laughs> and what comes up? Mm-hmm. And I always tell educators that because future employers will do this, mm-hmm. uh, friends, family, again, other, in other situations that you want to be able to shape the narrative that comes up when people yeah. make do that Google search, which is why you should be creating content and not allow yourself to be beholden to that random photo on Facebook where you went somewhere and a friend was like, Yes. Or that vacation for Cabo pops up mm-hmm. and you're doing something that may be legal, but the school district does not like, yeah. uh, you know, so I would tell people create <laughs> the current, create the content. Even if you're not interested in becoming an entrepreneur, create mm-hmm. the content to where you are shaping the narrative that becomes your brand, that people see what you want them to see and mm-hmm. not have it be taken a chance. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to go back a little bit on the TPT uh, one because it is a viable marketplace mm-hmm. for educators who want to monetize their talents, monetize what they're doing mm-hmm. to actually do that. And I've been on there before and, you know, there's worksheets and units and mm-hmm. other things there when educators are looking at that as, okay, this is a talent that I have. Mm -hmm. 
and people are, are teachers in my building are coming to me saying, wow, why did you create that unit? I like that. When they're looking at TPT to be that marketplace for them to sell, mm-hmm. how should they go about sort of creating that store, right? Mm-hmm. To where everything looks like it belongs together mm-hmm. and everything is uniquely professionally mm-hmm. succinctly put together to where they are actually providing a valuable service and people are not, they're not feeling like they're at uh, you know, some of these discount stores where yes. you, you get overwhelmed by the crazy, like it's just so much stuff. That yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, I know they have sales here, but I just can't find stuff here. I'm about to lose my mind. Yes. So that, that things, you know, it looks great. How, how does a teacher yeah. go about doing all of that? Well, I definitely think that um, categories in your store is really important because you're right. It can be overwhelming when you're just, you know, you're seeing random things scattered all over the place on the page. And, and I think when you've got categories where you've broken it down, like here's, you know, here are ELA units, you know, reading units of study and, you know, or here are STEM units of study or here's things for first grade or whatever, however you want to break it down for your categories, I think is really important because if not, your buyer is going to be confused mm-hmm. and it's going to be a hard thing for them to look at. I know that some of the things that I've learned even about like marketing as far as like let's say Pinterest for example like you know they're we're talking about creating these pins that take the buyer back to your store to to purchase your product I have recently learned to I mean like thought about well I make these makerspace moments in literature and which is basically I wanted to integrate literature into STEM and because I'm like, we are losing literature. Like all we talk about is informational text. And and I'm and so I feel very strongly about kids like loving to read. And I think literature it plays a big part in that. So I'm like, why can't kids create, like use the engineering design, you know, model and create something like a solution to a character's problem. So now you're tying like two different types of thinking into something. So I have so I started like a product line, I guess you can say, where I just started creating tons and tons of these makerspace moments in literature. And I'm like, well, how are my buyers going to see this? Because I've got, you know, reading units of study and then I've got holiday things and back to school and whatever. And so I'm like, well, I'll take them to, you know, that category. Once you click on that category, it's all the list of those products. So I'll create a pin that takes them to the the category rather than just right to the front page of my store. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those have tended, you know, been helpful and beneficial because people have, then they're taken right to the part that I want them to go to if they're looking for makerspace moments in literature. So, um, so that's one way I think categories is a huge thing. I know people will do, they get pretty fancy with that banner at the top of their store where they have like where they've made it into like a little movie and it will play different product lines that they have. I, um, I, I don't do that. I probably should do that. I, I like just stick to my quote and leave it there. But, um, because like you, there's only so much time in the day 
And so for me, I'm like, I don't feel, I can't deal with that right now. And so that's what I just tell myself. But I know that for some people, it's very helpful. Like it tells their buyer, look, I have the, I have this, you know, these different lines of products and they're available for you. And I think, I think that could be a really helpful thing for buyers to see. So could, because it's, is really hard to like lay out your store exactly the way you want to, because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, based on, you can either look at it like from bestsellers or you can look at it from recently updated, you know, recently posted. And so, or, you know, from A to Z or whatever, I think that's the other way. But, um, so it's hard to like put it, like lay it out exactly the way you want. I know a lot of sellers have gone to selling their resources on their own website so that they do have a little bit more control of that. And also because they're, you know, then they are not relying on a middle, a middleman. Now I think there's pros and cons. Like I, you know, I appreciate the work that TPDT does for me, like as far as like marketing, basically marketing TPT and then bringing people in that way. Like I still make the most sales from the website directly from the search and, and so I think that's still an important aspect and, but, and I appreciate how they deal with the taxes and they deal with, you know, all the rest of that stuff. But at the same time, you lose a little bit of control because you don't have their, you can't capture their email. You, you know, you know who bought from you, but you don't really know anything about them. And so you have limited control in that aspect. You have limited control of how your store is laid out and you are handing over a commission. So it's, I guess there's like pros and cons to both, but I mean, that, that's probably a next step for me is to do like an e-commerce part of my website Mm. so that people can come directly there and I can do custom categories. I think it would make my buyers, I think it would make it a lot more clear to them Mm -hmm. if I did that, especially because I've been, I haven't been as focused as I feel like I should be. So I think it would help clarify does that answer your question? I mean, is oh, that yeah. what, yeah, okay. oh, yeah. And so let's get into the marketing piece because I know you mentioned uh, the pins and Pinterest and those things, mm-hmm. but like for me, let's say with my documentary, mm-hmm. um, I have, I've done webinars mm-hmm. and I've been on other people's podcasts to talk about it as well as, you know, sharing on social media platforms mm-hmm. and I've gotten some sales, you know, I was able to get a little TV, you know, right there. <laughs> Yay, um, that's exciting. Know, it was, yeah, it was. Yes, it was, that is. It was. <sighs> but I, I want to do more sales and I know I can do yes. more in the marketing piece, right? Mm-hmm. What, what can someone who has that TPT store do? Mm-hmm to better market themselves, to better build their brand in such a way to where people, when they go to TPT, they're looking for them and not mm-hmm. randomly saying, hey, I'm looking yes. you, you know, for this uh, Black history lesson plan, but they're yeah. going, I'm looking for Trina Debris because I know her, her stuff is hot. Everything yeah. is going to be there. H- how does someone do that? Is it getting a mailing list? And if so, yes. how do they set that up? It, it, you know, if it's, you need a landing page mm-hmm. or, or you, you need a YouTube channel where you talk about it, how does someone go about doing it? 
So that's a like that's a definitely a complex answer, and it and and there's a variety. There's like a lot of schools of thought on it because and people everybody's path looks so different. Because I've talked to a lot of different teacherpreneurs, and they everybody's story is different. Like I mean, I my like I said, my best friend that originally started with me. I mean, she's she's hit the ultimate milestone. They don't even have it at at this level. So she <laughs> she's like you know, really killing it. And she doesn't do any marketing. All she does, I know it's crazy. So her path is totally different. She doesn't go do any marketing. All she does is she hammers out products. So she basically shows up for her audience every, almost every day. Like she almost posts every day, a new product. So she is like, and she's very, like she is very focused. She sells math products and she sells math products. It started at fourth grade. Now she's got third grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. Like, so she's stayed in that area and she's done every single thing for that. So she, you know what I mean? So she's very focused. She shows up constantly. She has a loyal following. People come back and buy from her all the time. So she doesn't feel like she, she does use Pinterest. She is a, she does use, she definitely uses Pinterest and she, and that's her so I guess that would be a marketing tool, obviously. She pens, you know, her products and she does real photos and then she does, you know, some of just the picture, like the, you know, each page of the product so a person can see it and they directs right to her store. But that's literally all she does as far as marketing. But I don't, I don't know a lot of people that have taken that path and have stayed on that path. I know more of like, I think Pinterest for sure is, is still my number one traffic driver. And so, and I've been frustrated with Pinterest because it's, you know, as it changes, you do have a little control. So that's the frustrating part of Pinterest. Uh, that, and that's part of the reason I started a podcast because I wanted to speak directly to my audience and I wanted to form a connection and a relationship. I wanted them to know me and hopefully like me. And so therefore they would trust me and they would want to come back for more. And it also is a, it's an authentic way for me to talk about a product like I can talk about makerspace moment and moments in literature I can give them free content talking about makerspace why every classroom should have a makerspace you know how you set up a makerspace all the things around and then be like oh well I also have a product of like routines and procedures for makerspace I have labels for makerspace and I have these makerspace moments in literature so it's it's easier for me to talk about rather than feel like I'm selling I feel like I'm offering a solution to their, you know, to their problem. So I think that looking at it, the marketing thing is that like I'm offering a solution rather than I'm selling to you has been a huge, like a, a huge shift for me that has helped a lot, I will say. So the podcast like that, that that's my, like it's brought a lot of traffic to my website. And that's the other thing. That's the other reason why I go, oh, I should have my products on my website because if I'm driving people to my website, then they need, they, they don't want to double click. So I need to make it as easy for them as a user from the user side as possible. And right now I'm not right now they're, you know, they're going to my website to listen to my podcast or they're listening to it on Apple or Google play or Stitcher or all the places that it's on. And then they, ha they have to go to my show notes, which is, are on my website and then, and then go to TBT. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's too many steps. Like I don't want them to have that. I need it to be simpler for them. Um, and then as far as like social media, like a lot of people like swear by Instagram, I am the worst on Instagram. Like 
And honestly, Instagram, like all the teaching stuff on Instagram just irritates me. Like I just want to go back on Instagram and see my friends and family. And so I'm like, I feel like from a user standpoint for me, it doesn't, it doesn't work because it doesn't make sense, but I'm also not 20 something. So I think that, you know, I think it's different. Some people have been super successful on Instagram and they started on Instagram and then opened a store. So there's been people that have gone in that direction. So I, you know, they're just letting, and it's kind of the same idea, I suppose, as a podcast, they're like making that connection with their audience. They're letting them in, they're showing them how to use something. So to them, it makes perfect sense. So that's another option. I know that um, Facebook communities has been a big deal, like building up these Facebook groups rather than even just a Facebook page. Because then someone explained this to me, like your page is kind of like the front of your house and the group is like bringing people into your backyard for the barbecue. And um, I thought that was good advice. So like, I'm like, all right, Facebook community. <laughs> so, but that becomes a lot. That's a lot of different things. I definitely think the email list is a, is a huge thing. If I had to like, you know, pick something, if I had to pick like the top three, I would say Pinterest and the email marketing and even the podcast for me, because I think you have to offer your people, your audience, your, you know, your buyers, your teachers, you have to offer them weekly consistent content. And, um, and, and some of it has to be free and, and that's just part of it. And because, you know, teachers, they're, they, they are, they will spend more than we think they will, but they also are, it's a limited income. So we have to be aware of that. And we have to, you know, we have to, again, like we want to show up for them. And by doing that, then that, that hopefully creates a super fan and somebody that wants the things that you have to put out. But, um, but the email marketing, like that is, that is alive and well, like I've, I listen to a ton of like, you know, or entrepreneurs like that are not a te like not an entrepreneur or a teacherpreneur. Um, Amy Porterfield is like one of my huge people. I, I did Digital Course Academy with her in, last year in January and I felt like I got a marketing degree like what, by the time I was done because it was so intense and so great. I, I mean, I loved it. And then um, like Pat Flynn is another person that I'll listen to. So these people, they have, and Marie Forleo, I love her. Like, I think she gives a lot of really good advice. And so, and she is the one that's, that I recently listened to her on a podcast and she was talking about, you know, people thinking email marketing was dead. And she's like, it's not. It's the one thing you have control over. It's the one thing you own. You know, Facebook can change their logarithm or whatever every five seconds and we can't keep up with that. Same thing with Instagram. And um, I mean, you own, you control your podcast, which is one thing that I appreciate, but even Pinterest has changed. It was totally different when I first started using Pinterest in 2012. And I mean, it's a, it's a different game now than it was then. And so the email is the thing that you have control over. And I, like I started off on a free platform on MailChimp it was frustrating to me and I'm actually pretty technology, you know, technical, I can't even think of the word, I tech savvy, like I get it, like I know how to usually figure these things out and I get really, like I'm like, I'm not going to stop until I figure it out with technology and it was irritating. It irritated me as far as like, it just seemed difficult. It wasn't like the user friendly and everyone kept telling me to go to ConvertKit and they're like, you're going to be so much happier 
when you do, and I'm like, well, I don't want to pay for it yet. And then I was like, forget it. I'm just going to convert kit. It was a thousand times easier. So it's just so much easier. And you're right. Do you need a landing page? Um, yes, you do need landing page. Do you need a lead magnet? Yes. So if you have a, a good, strong lead magnet, you're, you're capturing emails. You want to put something out there though. Like maybe you're doing a webinar you know, a free webinar and you're capturing email that way. Maybe that is your lead magnet or maybe you're doing a quiz um, or maybe you're doing, you know, like here's, or even like a PDF, like it's a, or a cheat sheet or a, like, here's a product. Here's this, you know, I have a makerspace for free. I have a free, I have two free ones so that people can see like the whole thing. It's not as detailed as like my ones that I sell. It only covers a couple standards as my other ones usually cover like three or four and, um, but it's like the, everything that you could, you would need to do it. So that's a, you know, that's a freebie. And, um, but you want to make sure when you have, are creating a lead magnet that you are picking like something that represents what you are going to have further to offer. Like I've made the mistake of making one of my lead magnets a long time ago. It was like a welcome back, like a back to school thing. Now, you know, anyone could get that. And it's not like they go, oh, I'm going to go back to Trina Devery because of that one welcome back flip book. They're going to go, because that doesn't really represent what I really, like the meat of what I really do. Any teacher, could, you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't a very good, I got a ton of email, um, email addresses that way. But at the same time, those are people that left. Like they wanted the freebie and they left. And you have to be okay with that. Like, that's the other thing. And Pat Flynn talks about that. And he's like, those are the people that you don't want. It's good. When they unsubscribe, it's good. Because that's one less person that you, that you have on your list that isn't truly there for what you have to offer. And, and like, I tend to take those things personally. I'm like, oh, you know, seven unsubscribers. But, you know, which is... <laughs> And I'm like, but in the, at now I'm like, yes, seven unsubscribers because I'm paying for this email list. And the bigger it grows, the more money it costs me. And I'm like, oh, you're a cold subscriber. I'll do the thing where you send out, you know, have I lost you or, you know, offended you or whatever. And if they aren't responding, then I'm like, they're off my list because I don't want to pay for if people, you know, don't want to be there. So now you're like, okay, I'm narrowing down to the, to my actual people. So I think that that's, that's a helpful thing. Um, yeah. To, yeah. I think, I think that's a lot. <laughs> People are going to be overwhelmed with that. Yeah. But it's worth the information for them to, to know. It's one of those things to where when you hear people talk about passive income mm -hmm. and it's passive in a way of you create it one time and you don't, you're not consistently working on it. Mm -hmm. However, you have to do the work to get You're people right. to buy it. You're right. right. You do have, yeah, you do. You have to do the work and that's the, and that's where it gets hard, but it's also the place where sometimes you go, you get to a point in your business and you start hiring it out. Like you, you know, you let go of some of those things. Like I'm ready to let go of Pinterest because it drives me crazy. And um, I love it as a user. Like I love to use Pinterest and search for things, especially when I'm like decorating my house. Like that's fun for me to use it in that sense. Mm -hmm. But um, but at like creating my pen and pinning it and making sure I have a good description and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm ready to be to let go of that. I did. I do have Tailwind. Like I purchased Tailwind. I pay for that every year, and it is a scheduler, so it schedules pens out. 
that frustrates me. Like I wish someone else would do that as well. Like I want to let go of some of those things so I can focus on creating the content. That's the part that I love to do, but I don't love some of that marketing stuff. I'd like to let go of some of that, but I have become like a student of marketing. Like I feel like, and I just have been, I listened to this, I listened to this audio book right now. Um, I think it's called story brand and it's talking about like being a, again, a student of copyright. Like, how do you, how are you speaking to your audience? And like, I don't mean copyright, like, you know, my, like copyright as far as I've created this and no one else can, you know, steal my work. I don't mean that. I mean like copywriting, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so as far as W-R-I-T, you know what I mean? (laughs) I-N-G, that kind of copywriting. Like it's, cause it is different. It's, you know, you're speaking differently to people. And if you are like, bringing them into your story, it's so much, you're so much more likely to have something convert than you are if you're just like, Hey, buy this. So that's something, that's something too. But there's like all these levels of marketing that, you know, if teachers didn't go to school and, and get, and like go to marketing, have mark, take marketing classes and we didn't take business classes. And so it is a lot of like learning through, you know, on your own, like self-directed learning. But, but I mean, I love that part because that's, like I said, I could go to college forever. So (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. So I want to get back to the podcast because I love that this is my medium. You know, when I first sort of asked my Yoda, Mm -hmm. Hey dude, I'm trying to make it like you make it right. Okay, I want to ball like you ball. He told me you needed to create content. Now, he meant blogging. Mm-hmm. There was no way in the world I was going to blog every yeah. week like he does. Yeah. And prior to me uh, working with the school district that I work now, I was actually a chief social strategist for an online career development company. And part mm-hmm. of that meant creating content. So I created this you know, YouTube show where I would interview professionals on different type of topics. So I figured, I said, Hey, I enjoyed that tremendously. Let me do this for myself. And for the first, maybe two seasons of my show, it was strictly YouTube Mm -hmm. until someone told me, I don't watch your stuff because it requires me to be present. And (laughs) Right. So you have, do you have just audio versions, something that when I'm cleaning up or when I'm driving, I can listen. And I was like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. So now that switched me to go, okay, now I'm going to create this podcast, strip the audio from the videos and I'm Mm going to do it this way. And I've been able to grow, you know, my presence. Yes. You know, and then with this particular niche that I have as well as you, yours, you know, trying to carve this thing out and build it up to where it is more acceptable to our colleagues. Cause we still have colleagues who are like, this should be for free. Yeah. Why yeah. are you charging people for that stuff? Yeah. So when you started your podcast, you mentioned earlier how you are using it mm-hmm. as a, as, as you know, a way to market people. Mm-hmm. Uh, market the stuff you're doing, but you're also talking to other teachers yes. who are in the game, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're selling stuff, some TPT, some doing other stuff. How has your podcast evolved as 
you know, you've done more episodes. And when you're looking to interview someone else, mm-hmm. what are you looking for in that person? And how are you trying, how are you laying this out to tie it back into what you're doing? Mm. Well, I think that for me, like I said, like I, I started off doing it because I, especially the teacherpreneurs, raise your hand like that. I, because I had created a course for teacherpreneurs to, to learn how to podcast themselves, I felt like I needed a platform. I needed something to speak to them. And, you know, I started, I started the podcast and I also started the group, the virtual learning party for teacherpreneurs group. I told you about that grew to like 1200 because of the conference. Um, which still blows my mind, but I started that as like, I'm like, okay, I need to offer value and content to this, to this group of people that I respect and also admire and work amongst if I'm going to ever show them that I have something that will help them or work for them. And, and so it's, I guess it sounds to me like when I say marketing to them, I, that makes me feel like, you know, that sleazy used car salesman. And I don't mean to be like that. Like I, because I do think that we have to, the first thing I will say is I do think we have to value ourselves. And I think we have to be okay with um, charging for our time and our expertise. And I know that people, and I, and honestly, like the teacherpreneurs are like, we want other teachers to invest in our work, but sometimes we don't invest invest in each other. And I will say it's like the hardest um, market, if you will. I I don't know why, but it, it just does seem to be like they, you know, even like people want, a lot of people do want things for free and it's kind of, yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I'm willing to like give stuff back to the, a community that I feel like you know, has like how, you know, that I've grown in, but I, at the same time, I'm like, you can't, I can't give everything for free. Like it's, it's like, we have to value each other. I, I think it all comes from where we originally come from. Like a lot of us as teachers, we, we, I don't want to sound like a martyr, but it's like, we are put down and not valued and not ever shown the value in like financially. It's like, you must do this for free. And it, it pulls on your heartstrings of like, you want to give to people. And, but I think that's taken for advantage of. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like we have to stop it amongst ourselves. Like if we want other people to invest in us, we have to invest in one another and we have to invest in ourselves. And I think that we have to just not allow that conversation. Like I don't even acknowledge those kind of conversations. I don't even want to participate in them because I think like it's just ridiculous. Honestly, it feels ridiculous to me. So, um, so anyway, so I started the podcast knowing that I needed to speak to this, to this group of people and, and also like kind of introduce who I, who I was and what I value and what I think and, and along the way, I started realizing that I love celebrating one another. Like that's something that means a lot to me. And when I started to see that as something that meant something to others, like I, it fueled me, like it, it motivated me. And, and it's funny because I've almost let go of this podcast because I, um, I'm like, I'm not focused. I need to be focused on teachers. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do, do this anymore with over here. So I'm like, maybe I just need to let it go. But then it was ranked and I'm like, oh, okay, I can't let it go. And then people would write me these comments and I'm like, 
oh, it means something to someone. And like just hearing that it means something to even one person all of a sudden makes it mean more to me. And because I've always been fueled by like making an impact on people. So to me, I'm like, okay, I can't let go. So it's kind of evolved into this, like this celebration of one another and how important that is and how, how it like benefits the community when we do that for each other. And so that's really where it's grown. And now I have people that ask me to be on the podcast. Like they write me and they're like, you know, they'd like to be on it. And I mean, that didn't happen in the beginning. And this podcast is, isn't even as old as the other one. This one is, is much like, younger, I want to say. And, and so I recently been doing this milestone um, moment, like celebration, like people that have hit milestones. And I've had several people that like have come to me and said, I would like to talk about it. And they, and when we've talked there, like before we've gone, like before I shared it with everybody else, we, we were like, you know, one person was like, I just don't know. I feel guilty about saying that I just, you know, got the $500,000 milestone. And I'm like, you can't. Yeah. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I'm like, you can't feel guilty. Like this is a celebration. Like it's doable. We could do this. And you worked hard and you've built something and that means something. And she was like, yeah, okay. Like she even needed to be like pumped up. And I'm like, and that's where I'm like, that I like, I feel like that's been a, that was a strength of mine. I was a fighter for teachers. I was a fighter for kids, but I was also a fighter for teachers. And I'm like, so that makes me feel like me. Like it makes me feel, and, and like, I feel like I, honestly, I feel like I've lost that in some aspects through the last five years of life for me and, um, through personal things and, you know, through leaving school and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm like, that makes me feel like me again. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the part of me like building other people up, fighting for them. That's the part of me that I like. Like that's the part that I, that I want to continue to do. So like doing these things with people, I've, I feel like, I don't know, like I know them. Like I, I sit with them for an hour and I, all of a sudden I'm like, I know them. Like I leave and I, I sounds like we're having a friendly conversation. Like that's my friend from all times. And it, I have these people I've never met. I don't, I don't even know, but I just, I don't know. Like, so it's evolved into this thing that feels, that feels good to me. So I'll keep doing it when it feels good to me. And if other people are responding and they feel like there's value, then, then, then I'll keep going. I hear you. And I, I love it. I love bringing on educators and also bringing people outside of education who run businesses yes. uh, to get their business acumen mm -hmm. onto the show because as you know <clears throat> as an educator if you've been doing this thing for a certain amount of time a lesson plan a unit a course or whatever that's easy work right that's mm -hmm. not the difficult part of it you you've been doing it for years every day yeah but when you decide i'm either going to become a sole proprietor or an llc mm -hmm. And I'm going to put this thing out there. Now the business piece of, you know, marketing and taxes and all of uh, that stuff, you know, yeah. that's the stuff that you really have to learn. And, and, you know, especially with the tax, like you can't get caught slipping on that because the checks look good. I won't lie. Like, you know, when I do a consulting gig and, you know, maybe 40 days or so the check come in and I'm looking at it like, Ooh, did I just make this <laughs> for one day? Yeah. 
<laughs> but but no one takes the taxes out of that. Yeah, no, you're right. And right. it's a lot. It's a lot of taxes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. you know, you know, those are things why I bring people in because this is what they do every day. Mm-hmm. And I try to bring them in so I can get their knowledge, you know, to other educators who are in the game or are thinking about it as well as, you know, bringing in educators who this is what they do, like what you do. This is what they do. So I'm trying to get people from that perspective mm-hmm. and everything. So uh, this has been a great conversation. I know we've been on a long time, so I'm going to yeah. get ready to wind this thing down. But, you know, you've done your academy, which is like, oh, my gosh, because I've been thinking about doing something like this. So thank mm-hmm. you, because now I know, like, people are really wanting to do this. But before, you know, we go, what is the best piece of advice that you've received from another entrepreneur and what is your advice to those teachers who are interested in mm-hmm. becoming an entrepreneur? All right. I think my best piece of advice was um, from Chris Kessler. He's a, he's a, he's a entrepreneur, a teacherpreneur who came in like after I started and he just soared to the top and he's a good guy. He's a nice person. And I, like, like loved listening to him at the conference. I was excited to meet him. I felt like, I don't know, he's been very, he's been great to me. Like I, he's, you know, when we first met, he's like, you can, if you ever want to email me and run stuff by me. And I was like, absolutely. Like, I was like, oh my goodness. You know, I was all excited. And so he's written back and we, he's on my, on my podcast, my one tired teacher podcast. And I was like so excited that he, you know, said yes. And we had a great time. Like we had so much fun recording it. And he has said, and even then, even when I was like, okay, I got to go back to work. I feel like I failed. I felt like a failure. He wrote me and he's like, this is what I expect from you, Trina. He's like, you're going to come back stronger than ever. And he goes, you have to keep going. He's like, if not, I'm going to basically kick my, you know what? And, um, and I'm like, okay. So that, I think that's it. Like you have to keep going. You don't give up. You just keep going. You're going to fail sometimes. It's picking yourself up and learning from that failure that propels you forward. And so I think, I think that is definitely the best piece of advice that I've gotten among the many other things he said. I think that was the thing that really like, you know, meant a lot. And then what would I say to others? I would say, I would say the same thing, like, don't give up, like be okay with knowing that you're not going to know how to do everything right away and don't get overwhelmed, like pick, pick something, get good at it and then move on to the next thing. Like, don't decide I got to do all these things right now. Like what I have to do first is I have to create content. I, I, that's my first thing. I create content and then I move on to the next thing. And, you know, once I've gotten a little bit of content up there, maybe I start working on Pinterest or, you know, I, I stay as focused as I can. I would say that for sure. Stay as focused as you can. Always keep your ICA, like your ideal customer avatar in your mind and think, how am I solving their problem? What problem do they have and how can I solve it for them? And I think, I think that's really a key. Mm. And keep going. Keep going. <laughs> that is all right. Thank you, Trina, for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. I cannot wait to release this episode. There were so many gems in this bad boy. And I had a great time. You know, I, my podcast 
you know, they don't go this length. Uh, so this has been like just a, an amazing conversation. Thank you. I feel the same way. I appreciate it. You are welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This episode will be going up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Simplecast, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe, follow, leave your comments, because your boy trying to get ranked. He's trying to be found, people, all right? So I need you to leave your comments and share with everyone, because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Trina Debary, for dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank each one of you who've been listening to this podcast, the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs. We're on season six, people. So thank you for getting us to this point. As always, people, invest in you, ADU, peace.